had a big head, rounded ears, six feet in the body maybe, with a very, very long tail, very muscular build. As it was walking, it was, it was still looking at me, and that's when I really panicked. It looked at me and thought, oh, oh, there's a human there, I'm not scared. You say, well, I've seen this big cat, and some people just flatly refuse. They think that Britain's such a sweet little island, we shouldn't have predators that size. I heard this growl behind me. Nothing like a dog scream. And just like anything else in life, you're sat on your own there. I don't care who you are, how brave you are. Something like that will put the shivers up your spine. As she was walking before the cub came out, she flicked this tail. She literally flicked it in the air. And I simply could not believe what I was seeing. It was the most extraordinary feeling. It threw its head back, he said, and it made this sort of round. But when you actually realise that there are big cats living in Britain, it changes everything. Welcome to Big Cat Conversations. We speak directly to people who've encountered one of Britain's big cats. We also discuss the bigger picture. Why are unofficial big cats being seen, and could these cats even be naturalising without us knowing? If you've had a big cat encounter in Britain and would like to discuss it, email me at rick at bigcatconversations.com. You can find other episodes on the website bigcatconversations.com. I'm Rick Minter, and thanks for joining me. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 6 of Big Cat Conversations. Before we meet our guests from Buckinghamshire, I've got two quick announcements to make. Remember that if you use platforms like Stitcher, iTunes and Spotify, you can hear the podcast that way. The second announcement is about the website. We are updating it after each episode with new references and links which relate to things mentioned in the respective episode. So for this episode, uh, there'll be a link to Leopards of Mumbai, to the Big Cats of the Chilterns website. So look out for frequent updates of the references and links part of the website. What we're not going to put on those pages is pictures of eaten out carcasses. It's a shame because for today's episode we could have the eaten out fox carcass that Darren has got a picture of. He's our first guest. We just feel it'll be too many grisly photos on the website and some people don't like that. and incidentally, the fox carcass that Darren sent me a photo of is one that I felt straight away was very likely big cat related. So, first of all, welcome to Darren, and very interesting to have somebody who is uh, an official um, county councillor uh, as a witness. But um, we'll, we'll talk about your sort of status of a councillor and how that affects how you sort of acknowledge that you've had this interesting encounter with the big cat uh, in a minute. But first of all, be very good if you could take us through the whole encounter you had in 2015. Well, I have a dog, uh, Hungarian Vizsla. I like to take her out for long walks. 
And I tend to take her around about the same kind of place in the countryside. A uh, particular location is at Booker Air Park in High Wycombe. So it is rural. There are built up areas nearby, but it's very much in the countryside where we go for a walk. I, I started noticing some strange things because I would vary the walk quite a lot. But at some stages, I had a feeling that I, something was watching me or someone was watching me when I when I was going through certain parts, particularly in wooded areas. Um, I couldn't sort of explain it. It was just a, a strange feeling that I had. There was also one time when there was a bush um, that just started rustling. And I was thinking, what on earth is going on? But I just put it to the back of my mind. And then basically what I started to notice, first of all, was a sweet smell of like a rotting animal. And on closer inspection, and I found around about two, possibly three sites where I would go for a walk because it was a very pungent smell. Uh, so I looked in there and I noticed it was uh, a deer carcass, uh, particularly because it had deer horns and, and a skull and so on. And I would also go walking with a friend of mine that has two dogs and I showed him as well just to show him that I wasn't going mad um, and then fairly soon afterwards I started to come across two half-eaten foxes which I thought was very bizarre because as far as I understood it, there couldn't have been any natural predator that can actually eat a fox, not in the UK. So I started getting suspicious. And then it was basically one day when I went walking uh, through the main air park itself. It has like a, a service road uh, that goes around the, air, the side of the air park. And I started noticing there were dead rabbits. And I knew there were a lot of rabbits around there. And even now when I walk the dog, uh, there still are. But it was very strange to see around about three, possibly four dead rabbits over a period of only a couple of days. They didn't seem to be torn to pieces and they were going missing, you know, a couple of days afterwards. But I thought it very strange. And then one day, uh, and it must have been during the summertime, and luckily my dog was behind me rather than in front of me. I walked to the end of the air park, and all of a sudden I saw what I thought was a cat, first of all, and uh, I wasn't that far away from it. I would say it was literally only yards, perhaps can't think of an actual distance but it was close enough to see that it was actually hiding in a small ditch and it didn't see me it was looking forward and it was obvious that it was actually looking for rabbits it was stalking rabbits and then I noticed the colour. The first thing I noticed was the colour. And it was the same colour as my dog. And Hungarian visuals are like a, a reddish-brown colour. And the next thing that I noticed, as it turned around and it saw me approaching, it looked me straight in the eyes. And I realised it wasn't a normal cat. And then it jumped off very quickly. And it was too quick for me to pull out a camera on my phone. And then it literally jumped into the bushes and disappeared. But as it jumped into the bushes, I noticed the tail. It was a very long, very slender, but thick tail. I've lived in the rural part of Buckinghamshire all my life, uh, enough to know the difference between a fox or another animal. So I did think it was very very peculiar. Of course, as soon as I got back home, I, um, I went on, on the internet and started to explore what exactly it was that I saw. 
And I very fast come to the conclusion that it was a puma kitten. I would say probably aged between three to four months. I didn't at the time notice any spots, but the only real thing that I noticed was the fact that it was a cat. It had the tail, it had the colour. But of course, at the time, my brain didn't comprehend what it was that I was actually seeing. Did you see any other distinguishing features and characteristics of its sort of form and its movement? All I can say was that it had whiskers and for 100% it wasn't a normal domestic cat. The, the main thing that I remember was that it looked fairly muscular. It was obviously very fit because it jumped into the bushes straight away and then disappeared. But at the time, the only thing that I remember is the actual colouring and the tail and everything else just literally it happened in a matter of seconds. Uh, I was very lucky that my dog wasn't up in, in front because she, she does chase deers and she does chase foxes and she does get chase squirrels. And my worry is if she did see that perhaps I would imagine that the mother was nearby, which obviously afterwards when I started to do research uh, did change my views and habits and so on. Um, but yeah, they're, they're the only features that I actually remember at the time, the colouring and the tail. I look at pictures of pumas uh, on the internet and, you know, a puma and a leopard tail, I would say, look very similar in the way that they carry themselves. The difference being that when you see a normal domestic cat and the tail that it has, and then when you see something like this, where the brain's telling you that this doesn't seem right, it doesn't seem like something that sh you should be seeing, it doesn't look like something something that's natural to the UK. So alarm bells did start ringing, but at the, at the very time, you know, the last thing that I would have imagined would be that the mother would have been nearby, perhaps watching with a kitten of that, that age. I mean, obviously it was there hunting, it was learning to hunt by stalking rabbits. It was very serious, you know, you could see that it was clocking the rabbits and it was in an excellent hiding place, which was an indentation in the ground. But it was just something that I didn't expect to see. But then everything made sense after seeing the deer carcasses and the half-eaten fox. Got you. You know, it just it just made sense. Yeah, and you took photos of the of fox carcass, didn't you? I took the pictures of the carcass, which I still have uh, on my computer. And also afterwards, I got in contact with Paulo from the, the Chilterns Big Cats organisation. He did actually come out with me, so he'll obviously explain himself. Because I, I needed to make sure that this was what I saw. Mm. That it, it, I needed to have the evidence, because at the time I didn't have anything other than the pictures of the foxes. And when he saw it, it got his interest also with the uh, story that I told him leading up to then. I wasn't someone just making it up or, you know, getting attention or whatever. Yeah. So when, so when I met up with him and I showed him the, the deer carcasses uh, and the half-eaten foxes, he did actually look closer at the, and inspected them and showed me that there were two puncture wounds on mm -hmm. two of the, the fox carcasses uh, that were in different sort of states of decay. Yeah. But it was literally the fox carcasses themselves that were eaten halfway with like 
the bones sticking out of the bottom so you can see the head and obviously all the fur around it and everything else below it was like a half eaten fox stripped down to the bone yes the rabbit carcasses were just dead rabbits they weren't ripped to pieces at all which makes me think that they must have been nearby they had obviously only just caught them and their attentions would have been to then obviously take them away to eat them the main the main being that they were practicing on them for hunting yeah and i assumed that the the adult and paulo told me that it was more likely based on the evidence that there would have been up to two kittens and a mother that the adult obviously would have um, hunted the foxes left them half eaten in the middle of the farmer's uh, field to go back and eat if you know if there wasn't much food around but of course the deer carcasses would have been killed by the mother and dragged up into the bushes when they're older the mother can sort of maim a a fawn and leave it for the young to practice on you're talking about an air park what does that term mean and a sort of an old airfield yeah it was an old airfield uh, used during the second world war uh, so this is based in the outskirts of High Wycombe. You don't get crowds of people going there. You get dog walkers. There's lots of uh, scrub. Um, and then opposite that, there's farmer's fields. And then you walk into various woods nearby. Mm-hmm. And you've got very at least one tunnel that goes through uh, from one side to the other. So there, there's a lot of areas, something like uh, large cats to roam. In the local paper, there have been reports uh, nearby of pumas. There's been various people that have cited them in at least two areas of Wickham, but not in this area of Wickham before. So it's not anything I've heard very local to where I've seen them, but it didn't surprise me when I started to research into what other people have seen. When you go walking by yourself uh, with your dog, and it's, it's very light and it's very early in the morning, but it's still light, you just you get i mean i go out for the walk for the peace and quiet and i know i'm not going to come across anyone else because my dog tends to jump up at people she gets very excited so that's one of the reasons that i go out early at the time it must have been during the summer it must have been about five five in the morning so many reports are one of the earliest dog walkers in the morning in a location yeah. or one of the last ones in the evening in a location. This reminds me of several, I have to say, on and around old airfields, either disused or hardly used now, because it's so scrubby. Remember, one of the most incredible ones was a guy who came to me at a rural show and he said he was a security guard at an airbase and they had to do periphery walks to check the, the edge of the whole place. And uh, he said one evening his guard dog just got so freaked out by something but also just wouldn't leave the scene was rigid as well so um, so showing mixed real mixed emotions and for about two minutes and the guy was so scared he'd never seen this dog act like this and he said for the first time ever at work on patrol he drew his pistol and had it ready because he just knew there was something serious there in the scrub that he had no idea it was going to be a big cat and he said then he just saw this panther just legged it out of the scrub and, and over the fence and away there we go i think old airfield peripheries and edges are good sort of places because i think you know they're so semi-isolated aren't they and not much activity and especially at night yeah i think if you think of there's a lot of wildlife so when i would go out walking i would see a few deer around at that time of day i would get to see foxes and rabbits and so on so there's an abundance of food as well as the isolation as well 
Yeah, so for a predator, it's a much more productive location than the open farm, open farmland. Presumably, you found it reassuring to have somebody like um, Paolo, a, a local recorder and advisor, to be uh, available. The first thing that I did when I finished my research um, was to see if any other people, if there were any other sightings. That's how I come across his organisation. Uh, the big cats of the Chilterns. It was really just to let me know that I wasn't going mad, that there were other people that also seen big cats out and about. So it was the reassurance that there was someone to talk to, someone to show what I saw. At the time, I was quite excited once I realised what it was. But then afterwards, I was quite scared uh, reading into the various puma kills or obviously the, the cougars as they call them in the US and that they have the capability to fight and to kill a human being so afterwards I was quite apprehensive and even to this day I don't now go walking deep into well I don't go walking in the woods by myself and without at least uh, a big stick or whatever with me just in case but it's more so of knowing that there are big cats out there that have the capability to get me from behind or whatever if they wanted to. I mean, knowing, of course, when you read into it, because of the wildlife there there is in the UK in that, that type of rural area, you know, of course, the risks are, are very low that that would happen unless they were cornered or, or whatever. But yeah, it has made me change my routes. I, although I still go to the air park, I tend to stick on a tarmac area that takes me up to the edge of the air park and then I turn around and come back again. So psychologically, I wouldn't now go walking for deep walks in the woods, especially not when it's starting to turn to dusk or dawn. Yeah. It's something that I just, at the back of my mind, it, it, I'm just stopping myself from doing that. Yeah, interesting. I was going to ask. Yeah, and, and you know, we've had other. I've had other dog walkers and other people say similar things. It does influence some people. You get involved in discussions about it. On so I, I see sometimes on the web and, and whatever, and um, people give you grief, don't they? But you stand up for yourself. I've noticed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because I've been in local politics for oh, um, over sixteen years, I've been a district and now a county councillor, former mayor, and all the rest of it. So. I'm I'm very thick-skinned. Um, so for some reason, uh, the news stories tend to come up on my news feed through Google. So I must have ticked something or it must have seen that I have an interest uh, whenever big cats are mentioned in the in the news. And of course, these days, the local papers tend to have a comments section. And it's always interesting to read the comments where you have someone that's obviously said, look, I've seen something. This is what I've seen. And then, of course, you have people that put their two pens were for the end and most of them seem to say the same thing like oh you must have been drunk you must have been on drugs you must be mistaken and they tend to ridicule the actual story and, and the person telling that story so I tend to put my own experiences and comments on there knowing full well that I'm likely to get a lot of stick for doing that but sticking to my guns and sticking to facts and evidence and obviously based on what I've seen once you actually read into what type of big cats are 
out there living, well, not just in the UK, as you know yourself, but even living in places like Australia and, and places that they really shouldn't be living in naturally. The real difficulty, if I have to be honest, is the evidence side. Um, I mean, my whole experience, other than taking the pictures of the, you know, the half-eaten foxes, when I actually saw the puma kitten itself, it happened in seconds. My brain didn't react fast enough to reach in my pocket because I always, always, always keep my smartphone in my pocket to then take it out, unlock it, stick the video on and, and actually record it. And I'm sure even if I tried to, in the excitement, I probably wouldn't have been able to press record and have it set up before, A, my dog came up clocked it and would have chased after it and then god knows what would have happened if the mum jumped out at the same time and also you know but it, it just it was too quick to do it yes so people think if that evidence isn't there or even if evidence is there then they start arguing that it's doctored it's made up it's not in the uk or whatever so even if actual hard proven evidence was there that i think they still wouldn't accept it either Having said that, what I would put out there is that maybe it is for the best because it is a, such a tricky, edgy, sensitive topic that evidence does drip out slowly so that people can have, have their minds changed if they want to have them changed gradually. I think a flick of the switch announcement that, guys, we've got big cats, careful as your dog walking, um, you know, it's official, there's 300 black leopards and 250 pumas recorded, you know, that a, a sudden announcement like that is going to be quite a culture shock where yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, gradual acclimatisation for many people is maybe for the best. Yeah, I mean, I, I can imagine that police forces do keep quiet about it. And I did actually think, should I keep quiet about what I saw? Or should I, you know, at least clarify and make some sort of noises? I mean, one thing that does worry me is if people were to perhaps, you know, go out camping or walking when it starts to get dark or whatever, that perhaps some people need to know what it is that that's out there but i do appreciate that obviously things need to be controlled because like you said if people did all of a sudden understand roughly how many big cats are roaming around in our countryside at any one time i mean i know from doing my research about dangerous animals act and that you know celebrities and rich people kept them as pets in the exact same way as they do in the u.s uh, I mean, when you start reading into how many tigers, how many pet tigers there are in the US alone, mm. compared to how many there are in the in the wild, in countries where they should be, then when you start thinking about, you know, the 1970s and 80s when, when they brought in the act, and when you look into it and understand that the choice that an owner had was to hand it over, to have it put down, to find a zoo to take it, which were all fully stocked, or release it into the wild, it, it makes sense. And of course it would have happened in wartime. People had to release these things in wartime. There were collections in the wartime and there was no meat for, for, to, supply, to feed them with in the wartime. Yeah, and there was obviously different periods in the UK history where that happened, which is extremely interesting when you think about it. But the fact that I saw, I saw a puma kitten obviously then adds in 
the extra dimension that they are breeding. It isn't just a case that there's some old cat that was released in the 1980s on its last legs, because <laughs> you and I both know that they don't get to live that long. Yeah. But the very fact of seeing the proof that there's a, a kitten in the wild obviously shows that they do what they do naturally and they manage to get in contact with each other and they have territories and, you know, a, a male puma would go around looking for female pumas. So there was that extra element, which was quite exciting. I think it's a bit rarer to actually see kittens. So I, I felt extremely blessed and lucky to have that sort of once in a lifetime opportunity. Even, even now, I'm quite selective when I bring it up. And when I do tell the story, there is part of me thinking, God, you know, what do they think mm. of me? Do they believe me or whatever? So it's not something I shout about even to this day. And obviously I'm doing this podcast. But at the end of the day, it is something that I feel that I need to share with people that at least have looked into the research and understand that they do live out in the UK in the countryside. Yeah. We've had in Gloucestershire two councillors admit to having encounters. One of them has been in the press, and I think you've you've emailed him. Yeah. Another one simply said that he'd seen one, and it was in a place where other people had seen one, and that he wanted to relay it for recording so it could be on a database and whatever and help bigger picture get considered. But he didn't want anybody to know that he as a councillor had reported it. And we've had that from magistrates, key business people and other people people with you know status or even people without status i don't like to use that word but you know what i mean so it does influence people's approach to communicating this what I would like to add is afterwards, and this is probably common with other people that you've spoken to, I wanted to see them again. Once I actually met up with Paulo and he, he clarified, you know, it was what I saw, I then started to stick like one of these cameras, you know, like a GoPro camera onto a hat, like a bush hat that I would wear. And I hoped to have another sighting again, which hasn't happened. But then on the other hand, I haven't been as venturous, you know, to, to go into the areas or, or into the woods, as I mentioned, where they might be. And I think at the time it was it was just the right time at the right place that this puma had kittens. It, it was teaching it how to hunt and everything came together. I mean, I haven't come across other deer carcasses or any other carcasses. The rabbits all seem to be running around doing what rabbits do. But there is that part of me that wishes that I could actually go and, and videotape it this time to actually take hard proof. Yeah, you shouldn't expect to see one, really, is my view. You, you, exactly. As you say, it's, it's a very rare event, but there was a part of me that wishes that I could see them again. I do think you need to be careful what you wish for. I mean, most people say, I'd like to see them again but in the right circumstances from my car or from a distance <laughs> from a distance yeah because I saw a kitten and it was literally, you know, just under the size of a fox. I think it was something that wasn't scary at the time. But had I have seen a fully grown adult, like staring at me and that, and that, that close, I think I know I would have been completely scared. You're sort of answering my final question. What do you think about big cats living in the wild in Britain? Yeah, well, personally, I don't, when you think about the ecosystem, they are feeding off of deers. 
which there are too many deers in the UK. They're living off of foxes and they're living off of rabbits mostly. So I, I don't have a problem with them being there. And the last thing that I would want is for the authorities to send out hit squads and track them down and shoot them and all the rest of it. In fact, it amazes me that sometimes the police do go to that level to send up a helicopter if there's been a sighting or something. Because in my mind, it's not needed. It's not a high population, so I'm very much in the camp of leaving them and let them be, unless, of course, you know, there are any cases of a particular animal that, that has attacked someone or caused any danger. I've been in politics for many years, and people will have different views on different subjects. So I completely respect and, you know, understand that, that people would have a range of what they feel about any particular subjects, including big cats in the UK. Right, well, really grateful for you coming on and sharing that that encounter, which is very interesting. If you have another one, let us know. And, you know, we will want to talk it through yeah, and sure. see what happens. And But for now, thank you very much, Darren. Very good to, to speak to okay, you. OK, thank you. Word of the week this episode is varmint. I first came across that word as a young child watching the American cartoon series Deputy Dog. I wondered what it was and I'm looking it up again decades later and see that it means troublesome creature, troublesome animal. Probably sort of word that arose around campfires in the great American outdoors when people were hearing a threatening rustle behind them in the scrub and wondering whether it was a cougar, a bear or just a raccoon. So are the big cats here deserving of the term varmint or do people see them more positively? And that really depends on your perspective and your situation. Even at the North Devon show amongst a farming family, I had contrasting views. The farmer declined to undertake my survey of attitudes on big cats. He'd had sheep kills from a big cat, he thought, in the 80s on his land. They have no trouble now, even though there may be big cats around still in Exmoor, as we looked at in episode three. And the farmer lady from that family actually made a very positive statement, feeling that the big cats have adapted and are part of the ecosystem here. So the jury's out, it seems. We'll carry on getting different views on the status of the big cats here. And that's our word of the week, varmint. For our second part of the show, I'm going to introduce Paolo from Buckinghamshire and he's going to give us a wider perspective because he runs a group called Big Cats of the Chilterns and Paolo takes reports and visits people to follow up reports from all around Buckinghamshire really, but with a focus on the Chilterns. He'll explain that in a minute. First of all, Paolo, I want to say thanks so much for coming on the show and we've just heard from Darren about his experience and seeing that uh, what appears to be a young cat, maybe a young puma. What was your take on what he sort of encountered. One of the weird things about Buckinghamshire, and I know, Rick, you've done the shows with me, is that we get a lot of urban sightings in Buckinghamshire. High Wycombe, Aylesbury, Princes Risborough, we always have these very urban puma sightings. And he had this experience whereby he thought it was a young one. But the behaviour of the cat suggested a young one as well. And it was on the edge of an airfield, High Wycombe airfield. And it is just one of them areas you walk into and you just think, this is the perfect place for one of these animals. Every time you hear someone say, oh, I 
thought it was a young one. It's like, oh, okay, so are you telling me you saw a little cat or a big cat? Well, what's going on? But what added to the whole scenario was is that he said, oh, I see a lot of dead animals around here. I'd had many sightings from near and around there. And at the same sort of time as I had um, this from Darren, I had a sighting of a very light-colored, pale yellow animal with very curious looking at a guy digging on his allotment. And this was within sort of a couple of months of Darren's sighting. And he just said, I just looked at this animal and it was just staring at me. And it was quite big, but he said, I just couldn't figure out what it was. But he said, when it turned and ran, I saw a long tail. You know, usually with these sightings, Rick, we go through this process of what are the markers here? And I found that was there a couple of young adolescents in that area at the time? I don't know. It's speculative, but this is what was going on in my mind. And that everything that Darren was telling me seemed to feed into the other data that we had, you know, be it very little as always. It's always a bit you have to work on what facts you've got, you know. Yes. And this is the benefit of having an overview with a group like you run, um, Paolo. So can you just briefly explain the gist of Big Cats of the Chilterns? And of course, it, it's it's got a slightly wider scope than the Chilterns because you do cover Buckinghamshire. When I was very young, I was in high school and we had an activities week and they told us if you were good, you would get to go on all the great, amazing things like Taser, things like that. But there was this something that you could opt for called the Chiltern Walk. And the science teacher at the time was local to the Chilterns. He's passionate about the Chilterns. He loved walking in the Chilterns and there was a handful of us most people didn't want to go walking on Chilterns I was like I've heard of this place called the Chilterns it's forested it's hilly and I was from northwest London so we went up there and then it was just such a small group of us that he started to relax and tell us about the sightings he had of big cats and and this was the kind of guy that you were terrified of he was a science teacher that I'm not going to mention his name but I've been trying to trace him for years and I've never managed to find him but he would tell us that he often would see large cats large cats um, and cubs but he was just the kind of guy you just thought no I, I don't think he's lying to me you know he wasn't messing about he saw these animals like every now and then so my you know i'd always been interested in this sort of thing and when i got to 21 and i started driving and i got the internet i started researching there was loads of sightings you know news reports like constant news reports if you were prepared to do the research they were there so i said right well when i get to 21 i'm gonna do it and I, when i got to 21 i've got my driving license and i went and you know and I, I started doing it and researching it and then moving up to these areas and that and then that was it i got my first camera trap when i was 25 but it was just the idea of the chilton stayed with me you know or even though i'm thought of as a Buckinghamshire researcher I think it's the topography of the Chilterns and these wild areas I think cats like the topography and uh, everywhere I've gone subsequently went to India to met Krishna and he studies done on leopards these animals like a commanding view when I went to India I learned that people think oh London you know it's really overpopulated go to Mumbai that is a place where drain covers move out of the way and five guys come walking out the drain covers you know I mean it is insane densely populated Mumbai yet these animals come straight into town they take the dogs they take the rats they, I mean these animals are really clever animals especially your middle class person from London does not understand these animals or what they're about I know farmers and when 
you move to the country, one thing you learn is everyone knows each other. And the farmers, I started talking about my research and they thought, think I'm mad, but they're well, now you say it, Paul, um, I lost a dog. I lost a really strong farm dog and just went missing. And this dog was creating for weeks on end, like at the window. And there was something there. And it's like, if he's too scared to go outside, I'm too scared to go outside. And then he's like, my dog just went missing. To this day, I can't make any sense of it. And that so many farmers have now said to me, well, I've seen sheep that look like they've been butchered and left on the spot and there's just bone. But now you're telling me this, Paolo, I, I think maybe, maybe there is a cat out there just taking the odd sheep. So it's it's all of these things we talk about. You know, we, we talk about Mumbai. It's If they can live in Mumbai, trust me, they can live here. This is easy for them, honestly. Mm. In the congested, built-up, suburbanised sure. shire counties of sure, um, sure, South East England. Yeah, I mean, um, it, it all comes down to one thing I learned. I went to a place called Wilderness, Wilderness, which is in the Western Ghats. Now, this is your typical leopard habitat, jungle, and got a forest ranger there. He's not just doing the job because the, the guy's interested. And he told me that the leopards in these areas, in the jungle, will one in 10 kills, they might succeed. And it's a very hard life in the jungle for a big cat because you're hunting things like deer, things that can move fast, things that are very, very, you know, big wild pigs that could probably give as good as they get. But in the suburbs of Mumbai, you've got the slums where people are effectively in shanty towns where they have their own ducks, their own chickens. They come and take the livestock from people because, you know, they these people aren't even recognised by the government in the slums. I, I spent a good two weeks in the slums and Krishna taught me a lot about it. There was actually a professor from Paris um, who was doing a study on illegitimate human settlements. And, you know, the government benefits from these people living in these slum areas. But the lep- it's like they live a living nightmare because they live in these corrugated iron houses and every night the leopards come down and take their livestock from them. They take the dogs because the dogs, if you go anywhere, even into the centre of Mumbai, there's dogs everywhere. Um, and, and they have their own social structure and I learned that to my own detriment walking around uh, um, I spent a lot of time going around the rubbish tips on the edge of Mumbai there's a lot of pollution and the most fiercest strongest dogs wild dogs command these areas and I've spent a lot of time watching them and looking for leopards to come and take these dogs honestly and um, I had a couple of moments where I was getting basically surrounded by really aggressive dogs and they're not huge dogs they're not like Alsatians but they're when there's a few of them it, it comes down to food where's the food you talk about the suburban Buckinghamshire oh, it's, there's loads of food here I mean in my garden every night I have like four deer I put stealth cameras up there's um, there's deer everywhere and there's boxes there's badges and it's low risk food isn't it that's that's what the cats want really ideally yeah, but this is another thing that a lot of people miss, Rick. You know, they say, oh, I think that roadkill's a great one for leopards in this country. I think that I don't know a day. I mean, even I have taken roadkill off the freshly killed roadkill off the roads, dear, you know, because there's just so much of it in Bucks. The A413 near where I live is that there's just so much meat on the road, freshly killed meat all the time. I mean, and Vija says from Poon, if they don't have to hunt, they won't. They don't have to hunt. Young one might want to kill things, you know, or want what they have an instinct to hunt, but cats are lazy. I mean, I'm sitting here now looking at my Bengal, he's in front of the TV, and he's just sitting there. He's been asleep all day. He's got up, he's meowed at me, I fed him, he's gone back to sleep again conserving energy is the key one point i wanted to make about that rick when i was when i was talking to krishna i said in england or the uk i have this idea of them being semi-urban leopards living in this way how would you because all of the documentation on leopards is point of less resistance put your camera chaps on 
trails and he says when you're talking about urban animals there's so many different avenues and points of less resistance it almost makes camera chapping them impossible and he told me that for National Geographic they were paid and the BBC were paid to try and get the money shot which was a National Geographic magazine special where they had the city of Mumbai in the background and a leopard and he said we were working on that for a whole year and it just so happened that there was from Sanjay Gandhi National Park a trail out of the forest where they were still living sort of naturally and using these trails in between the forest. The Sanjay Ganges is like a mountain and um, that the city's grown around and they got that shot but he said it, I am famous for my shots of leopards in Mumbai but he said I've only got about five bits of footage he says that shot was like this leopard with Mumbai in the background but he said that was we had um, a naturalized trail in a jungle sort of rocky crag with the city down below it was just the circumstance was right but we were so lucky to get it we'll try and put a web link to that on our references um, page of the website yes yes I said to Krishna, I said, what is it about Mumbai that makes it successful for them? And a lot of people have said, oh, it's not, it's a bad environment. They're trapped on this little island. And he told me, it's the little nooks and the crannies. He said, they can run up that mountain. There's caves, there's places to hide. When you look at the UK, I mean, these animals sleep most of the day. So when they're about, we're not here. I mean, if I walk into my garden, that's pitch black. You can see stars. You can see the glow of London in the distance. We're in our own valley, pretty much where we live and if you walk through here at night i don't know i i get hairs on the back of my neck because i just don't know what's there i know there's big deer here there are nooks and crannies that they stay during the day and we're talking about railway embankments i found a place um, on the edge of prince's risborough where there's many sightings an old baker's yard some of the cars there are like 1960s 1970s they look like there's there's trees growing through the cars i don't know who owns this bit of land i mean that's only because i walk off the beaten track rick but the fact is there's so many places off the beaten track now if you're in africa and you're on the jeep on the savannah you've got a wide range of area you can access in the uk you've got black spots where as far as i'm concerned just i mean i find areas overgrown with blackberries and i look at it google earth and i'm like i don't know who owns that you're talking about square mile there just blackberry bushes along the railway line and that's where these animals are during the day that's where they're sleeping mm. yes yeah, a landfill site full of rats and rabbits on the edges with scrub they're going to be dead on, at night absolutely no, no, no exactly. human activity at night golf courses full of rabbits and bramble scrub on the edges again no people no activity at night no and the sightings back this up you know um, mm. people see them along the edge of railway lines or coming out of a railway line and you know what these sightings are like Rick they sort of like their feet away they look up at you and they just sort of look away and just walk off they're not bothered by us you know they live around us they, they're not bothered by us at all mm. Could you go through maybe a couple of the most interesting notable ones that have come to your attention in the past few years? The most interesting one, and I think you know about this a little bit, is a lady who contacted me and basically what she had was a, a puma, and she characterically said puma of the Americas because the lady was Argentinian. Out of a patio door, she saw a puma. Now, that's the centre of a town in Buckinghamshire, so your logic would say, well, that's ridiculous. But the fact that even before I started researching, I'd been gathering reports, and there were so many reports of not not just a big cat, a puma on the rye. So I thought, well, that's a bit of a coincidence because she wouldn't have known about that. And there was even a small documentary made by 
university students on the Beast of Bucks and they interviewed people who'd seen it. Well, even though this sounds absolutely crazy, I'll go and meet her. So I went and met her and um, basically it was a new housing estate which had been built on the top of a hill in the middle of the woods above the Rye. So I went there and let's make no qualms about this. This woman was terrified. She would not go in her own garden. She taped up the dog flat and I went out there and she said, don't go outside. And, and there was like this retaining wall with a lot of bushes and she believed it was living up on this wall and then she was coming up and staying in her garden so I went up there and I found a flattened area I mean I, I couldn't specifically find hair but I could smell something that I would say like we like ammonia sort of smell so I said to her and she I went outside her double doors and I said, okay, fine. And I'm looking into her eyes now because you've always got to try and get to the bottom of it. I said, so you're telling me you saw a puma, right? I said, how tall was it? She showed me and I said, what, that close? So she saw it outside them doors and she said, yeah. She started looking at me a bit funny and I said, look, is there any way that that was a fox? She got so angry with me. She said, excuse me, mate, I know what a blimmin' puma looks like. And she was genuinely to this day, I believe she saw what she saw. Now, to anyone else, you would think oh it's all nonsense but because I'd been following the paper trail of sightings over the years and then looking at the connections between them areas oh we've got a nature reserve we've got this river that runs it just makes sense to me Rick I had cameras up I put cameras up I put meat up I put lures up I put everything that a big cat research should do I never got anything I've still got reports from a place very close to there to this day somewhere called the old ski slope there's an old abandoned ski slope there and um, a young lad who is in contact with me quite a lot he lives around the back of there and he's heard screams and stuff at night and he went out there and I said go out there and I said take pictures of all the prints and I got loads of dogs prints and then bang I got a perfect puma print and I put that on my web page I, I mean I'm sure someone out there saying no it's a dog but no this this was a puma print and I said did you honestly get that from behind your house he said yeah and I had a sighting of one jumping across the road multiple times about the other side of that site which is probably half a mile back jumping down the bank at night how many people do not report this stuff Rick they google it Puma in the Chilterns Puma in Buckinghamshire and they email me oh, there must be 10 other people that don't email me and I get all these reports direct to me and I'll tell you I know they're there if I had 6 months full time at this Rick we'd get I'm sure of it I might be wrong after 6 months I might be a defeated man but I have identified 6 sites where I am confident if you went at it dawn and dusk every day you catch it on film i'm sure they're they're in these areas i'm absolutely positive of it mm, but that's about using the right camera trappings techniques and methods if you've got access to the land and the land isn't going to be disturbed and the cameras aren't going to be nicked that's the other challenge that's the problem isn't it Back to the urban ones, they've got a territory that means they have to go near people and near urban situations, then they'll adapt for that. The one incident I'd like to hear you relay at the stable, because um, people saw it, didn't people see a puma and the horse impacts were there to be sort of Oh seen yeah, in... that's quite a famous one around here. Um, so there's a particular woods and there's a lot of equestrian, there's a lot of big estates, there's a lot of people that have big gardens and if you went to the bottom of their gardens it would just be dense. And this is a typical example 
bank where horses have been attacked and basically they call the police the police come down they have a look because they suspect people knifing horses because you know people were doing this for some crazy reason I don't know why people do it but people were assaulting horses basically and was that was what was the first thing in their head because they found one horse had jumped over the fence and was in the other paddock another horse had really bad wounds to its rump an old horse and the other one was just in shock and just never really came out of it and died so we had this situation where they, the police they got the vet to have a look and the police vet said this is I mean there was punctures five puncture holes either side of the rump of this animal and the vet said it looks like something out of Big Cat Diary now we know the species involved we don't think there's lions roaming around but I looked at the animals pictures on my website the vet said it looks like a big cat attack so the police said we can't do really much more but we will have a look around and they had a look around and everything but they started wanting help so I went there and had a look yeah these were big animals I mean you know a horse is a big animal and this was an old horse we know that they will go for old horses even if they're quite big animals but yeah it was quite distinct you could almost see the way the animal had clambered up on this horse you could see the the holes in the rump and this horse was and all the horses there were really unsure of me but they'd seen an animal there in this woods and Hodgemore Woods to this day is a huge hot spot it's very close to where I live it's in fact if I look out of my window I can see the woods mm. and Penwoods near nearby a lot of the gamekeepers around here when i started i moved to the country and i started drinking in the local pub i met a lot of the gamekeepers and they say hodgemore woods yeah we know we've got a couple of guys that have seen big cats crossing the road around there and a lot of farmer contractors i know all of the big farmer contractors now five years on from moving here and they've had situations where all of the sheep have just broke over the fence onto the main road they've had to go back there's no reason why these animals would jump a fence there usually contains them so i've i mean i've camped there with other researchers and i don't know what we think we're going to achieve because they're <laughs> clever animals but you want to go there and you want to experience but that woods is very dense mm. well this takes us on to your own doorstep your own neighbor's situation four miles sort of north of me we have an area where there's an raf base and i've had the actual raf officers email me multiple times i've gone down there and we've I've smelt the cats, I found prints, I've never got them on camera. And then just to the south east of me, we've got Hodgemore Woods. I'm in a valley in the Chilterns and there's woods on one side and there's countryside on the other. But what's happened is, is that the, the country estate I live in and I live on the farmer's cottage, the big farming property next to us they we know them quite well because we live within the same gated area the lady there's she's very well known in her industry she's not the sort of person to make stuff up well the other night her son had seen something that he could only describe the size of a large dog but it was a cat and it had a cat like tail in the paddock below us and they have quite a lot of land it's right next to where i live and she thought it was all nonsense until she went out and she saw it and she described a black animal and she was massively confused she she said we've seen a few animals here that would just look out of place you know have you heard anything have you seen anything and she said I saw a, a, a large dog sized cat and I nearly jumped on her I said do you know I researched this subject and she's like I don't know what you're talking about so she knew nothing about my research I've always knew they've been around here but I thought why are there no sightings here well there's just not many people here where we live because it's big country estates and I knew that they were here because one night I heard something that I thought was 
was either a wild boar or a, a leopard because it was just like a snorting, grunting, repetitive sound meters from me. Another night, because I do landscaping, I had my chainsaw out and I was cutting up old pallets from a landscape job. And literally, if you saw where I lived, Rick, it, I live on top of a hill and there's just a wooded valley below us. And I was pulling my chainsaw cord, trying to get the old chainsaw going in that rusping sound that the pull cord on the chainsaw makes. And the exact same noise came from me from the woods. And I mean, the sun's just going down. And I listened and I thought, oh, hang on a minute. I don't know any animal. That, it's no way that's an echo. And I did it again and it happened again. And I knew. I looked down into that valley and I was like, I know there's a leopard there. In South America for jaguars, there's a guy that makes this rusping call for just jaguars. And he said, you'll get lucky and they will make that rusping sound back. It is like a grumbling saw. It's called a sawing, isn't it? A leopard saw, isn't it? If you YouTube it, but I went straight onto YouTube and, I, and it was mm. pretty much bang on. But also I hear that wild boar can make that sound now we've had reports of wild boar here but if wild boar were here we would have a lot of rooting up of the ground and i haven't seen that so i mean i'm confident but you know what it's like rick even though i research it and i'm confident you still trying to prove to yourself all the time aren't you we have a couple of stray cats around here, like country cats that are a constant war with my Bengal cat. I have a, like a little forest garden, a permaculture garden. I'm really interested in permaculture. And I grow catnip en masse in this garden for my research. And I also grow valerian. Now, cats are really attracted to valerian. I didn't know. It's the roots of the plant they're attracted to. And the roots around that plant are constantly being excavated out in my garden. And I've mass grown it and I'm going to start planting it in front of cameras. I don't know how effective, but you know, you have to be creative don't you but do you know rick i've got chickens i've got ducks here i've got a secure aviary for them i don't think they're that starving that they would try and break in but i've had people say to me if you had leopards walking around your ducks would have gone now i don't necessarily think that's the case but we have got a lot of roe deer they come into my garden every night um, at the minute the apples they come in every morning i wake up making a cup of tea and there's two female deer with two young each always in there within seven meters of me looking at me they can't see my outlines they mm. just stand there looking at the window and I've got this perfect view in the twilight of these roe deer well this morning I've looked and don't want to be dramatic but there's only one young with one of them so I don't know if it's just in the last few weeks they're attracted because there's roe deer mm. with young yeah. I don't know I just don't know I'm speculating but I can look out of my window and look over one valley and that's a massive hot spot and has been for 40 years and then Wendover Woods which is to the north of me where the RF base is and we've had constant sightings and activity so I'm sandwiched in the middle but as crazy as it might seem to some people it's almost as if you don't know what's at the bottom of your garden fence wherever you live in the city or the town just don't know we want more evidence and you'd think it would be easier to find. We're going to do a, an episode on technology. I do feel the technology is overrated, actually, and that you still need the elemental human skills to go with yeah, it. The technology is the slave. It's not the master. If we think it's the master, that we'll be making a big mistake, I think. How do you personally feel about a situation with leopards and cats like pumas around in Britain? What, what is it? Good news, bad news, or does it sort of depend? Well, the way I look, nature is taking its own course. If you think about the wolf reintroduction argument that has been thrown around over the years, it, wolves were a native species to this country. But looking at our countryside, the way our towns, the high density of people, wolves will pull down big animals and hunt together. I just think in our modern day world, because 
whoever released the animals here in the first place the more realistic option for us to have control of our deer and to give natural balance back to our local ecology is an animal like a leopard it's almost like well wolves aren't going to happen but what you want is the perfect predator that will live in your shadows that will live at the bottom of your garden and you'll never know and it will come out and it will keep the deer population at its peak and when you saw Jonathan McGowan talking about types of grasses and how deer eat the grass and how deer have to keep the environment healthy and then the predators have to keep the deer healthy because he's then got deer skulls which are deformed because there's no natural selection anymore that's somebody that knows what they're talking about in terms of ecology and a lot of people look at the big rat researchers like oh well it doesn't fit our idea of what we accept so we don't like it but we are the pioneers because really mm. leopards and pumas did live in this country relatively recently and it is just the only solution we've got to get that not only that ecological balance back into a countryside but that little bit of magic how many of these young people you see in these housing estates in london who sit there and look at computer screens all day and then are so stressed out they go out and they do drugs and then they, their family breakdown and they start doing all of these negative things with their lives how exciting the countryside would be if we had a big predator i mean this is my opinion it's a bit out there but it, they've got a massive part to play it makes i mean i go out and camp in the woods in these areas yeah i admit there's a possibility i don't know i, I might come up against something i don't want to but you know it brings that little sparkle of magic you know and then into the countryside again and that's why i think if they're there we have to embrace it Good luck with your very local cameras. That's going to be terrific for you if you get anything on there right on the doorstep. Sure. It's nice to be able to check cameras without making long journeys as well. So great to hear from you, Paolo, and we'll keep in touch. Uh, But for now, thanks for coming on. Yeah, no, and thank you, Rick. You always do so much work. You always bring people together. Thank you for your work. Uh, I'll be happy to come on again. Next episode, we are just going a few counties north of Buckinghamshire to another part of Middle England, to Leicestershire. We're going to speak to Paolo's sort of equivalent there, one of the guys who has sort of a long track record in advising people and taking records and trying to piece it all together. And we'll also talk to a witness who actually saw that leopard-like cat eating something, perhaps a fox or a rabbit. So we'll see you next time on Big Cat Conversations. 